I'm Chelsea, I'm one of the volunteers here at Renaissance, and I'm going to go ahead and read our teaching text this morning. So if you want to get out your Bibles or your phones or however you read it, it'll also be up on the screen. Um, so I will be reading from Romans 8, 5 through 11. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Renaissance. My name is Lester. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, shout out to all the parents who have their kids with you. I feel for you. <laughs> and, um, but we're glad to have our children with us. I think it's a blessing to hear God's word. Um, you know, as we continue in the series in Romans chapter 8, uh, I hope that you were, you've been joining us uh, in just Romans 8 challenge about reading Romans 8 throughout the week and letting this uh, wonderful truth to kind of just wash over you and also wash out the lies that maybe you have in your, heart, in, your head, in your head and your heart that maybe you've been believing over the years in this false information of who God is and who you are. See, Romans 8 is smack right in the middle of the book of Romans. And in a lot of ways, it's kind of Paul's masterpiece writing, his work. Uh, because it, in Romans 8, there is this wonderful declaration of of this truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And up until before, it just kind of leads into a lot of just the difficulties and situations, what has led to like our struggles and who we are as a people. And in Romans 8, there's this declaration of kind of truth, of freedom, of pro this proclamation. But before we go any further, I do want to ask, I do wanna ask, us, ask us a question, and I hope you would indulge me in this, uh, if this question maybe seems too simplistic for you or too easy for you. Uh, but I do want to ask this question, and I want you to think about it, is what do you think, as we, before we get into Romans 8, what do you think Jesus is about? Or another way to ask is, is why do you think Jesus came? Think about this question of what do you think Jesus is about, or why do you think Jesus came? Because it's an important question for us to think about, to realize, because sometimes we kind of uh, go through our life without, really, without even thinking and realizing and just understanding why Jesus even came in the first place. It just seems, seems like an afterthought or a footnote in our lives. But it's such an important question for those who are today, for those of us who do believe in God, and for those of us who are not quite sure yet what we believe. And if you're, there, and if you're not quite sure where you are, we're so glad that you're here. And we believe that God brought you here for a reason. And then hopefully... I hope that you have open ears and open heart just to maybe hear 
what God's truth is and what his love for you is, and also just understand the condition of our hearts. So we're so glad you're here. The reason why I'm asking this question is because there's this ongoing lie, this, this pervasive lie that's been going on through generations to generation that occupies uh, the mind of many of us, uh, that this false narrative, this false truth, this false story that God does not love you, God does not actually care about you, and it's up to you to take care of it. It's up to you to make sure your life goes the way it's supposed to go. It's completely not up to you. In other words, you be the God of your life. You determine what should be done, what shouldn't be done, where your life should go, where your life shouldn't go. But Jesus makes it very clear. He's very, when Jesus comes, his intentions are very clear. He says in John 10.10, 10, he says, I have come that they may have life and life to the full. Notice the two things he says in John 10.10. 10. It says, the reason why I came, the reason why I'm here is so that you can have life and not just be barely alive, but it says life to the fullest. Other translation, life abundantly. But because of these false lies and truths that we carry around, sometimes we operate, we live and think as if that's the opposite, that Jesus and God are not interested in giving us life because it, it looks like in my life, and sometimes maybe your life too, it looks like, God, you're not interested in giving me life. It looks like you're taking things away from me. It looks like you're taking things away from me. You're, den you're denying me things, borderline robbing me of things. And so I'm not actually quite cool what you're doing. So God and, and his plan for our life seems more like the Grinch who stole Christmas. Like he says, what are the joys in your life? Let me look at the things you like. Make a list of all the things you like, and I'm going to say no to it. If I don't say no to it, it's because I'm going to take it. So it, basically, I'm going to take it out of your hand. And it seems like, it and it feels like for many of us, including myself, that sometimes God is out to, his goal in his life, and his goal for my life is to make me miss out on life while others are enjoying their life. Like, if you look at, this is, the, this is the fallacy, and this is the problem with social media, is that most of us that I know of, especially, at least for me, I'm posting highlights of my life. And so I'm not posting lowlights, right? But I'm posting highlights of my life. Uh, and so when, I, when, when we look around, it looks like everyone else is flourishing, everyone else is doing well. And then when I look at my life, or when we look at our life, we're like, well, God, it looks like everyone else is doing well, and so it feels like, it seems like to me that while others are flourishing, you don't want me to flourish. You don't want me to shine. You just want me to be down. And it feels that way. And the problem is, if you believe this lie, if you believe this story, if you believe this narrative, it hap what, what Paul writes is, is a description of what happens to us from verse 5 through 7 about having a mind set on the flesh. And he, said, and he describes it in three ways. A mind set on the flesh leads to death, is hostile to God, won't submit to God, and actually doesn't have a relationship with God. It cannot please God. And before I go further, I do want to make a clarity. I know there's children in this room, so I'll kind of say it a little bit differently. Sometimes this translation of the flesh gets too easily translated, and I think sometimes too lazily translated, as flesh equals inappropriate physical contact or relationship with people. Right? There's another word for it, but I won't say it. Children are here. So cover their ears. Sometimes we too easily think flesh equals inappropriate physical contact or inappropriate relationship with someone else. Right? But it does, the, the Greek word, while it does 
had that meaning in other parts of the Bible, it, it, this idea of having a mindset in the flesh refers to more the mindset, the lifestyle, the life orientation of a life that says, God, I don't need you. I'm going to take care of things my way because clearly you don't have my best interest. So I'm going to take care of my life. I will be the controller of my life. I will be the Lord of my life. I will determine my destiny. This is what this idea is. There's a, there's a movie, Indiana, Indiana Jones has a, is a three-part series, and the last one is called, uh, I think, The Holy Grail, Search for the Holy Grail. And in this, in this movie, there's a scene where the Holy Grail has been a story that's been going on, I think, since the, the writers of King Arthur. And there's this idea, this mythology of if you have this Holy Grail and you drink the water from within it, you will be able to live forever. You will have eternal life. And so there's this huge pursuit and search for this Holy Grail. And in the last scene, as with many movies, the last scene, there's always like, earthquake, disaster, people falling left and right. And there's a scene where Indiana Jones, uh, this lady has uh, the cup. It falls. It rolls off kind of the edge. It falls on a ledge below. She's hanging on by the ledge barely. She's trying to grip it. Indiana Jones grabs her hand and says, I need your other hand. Let it go. And she says, but I can get it. I can get it. And he says, give me your other hand because I can't hold on to you. Give me your hand. And she just can't let it go because she's so captivated by this thing of this, this idea that I, if I grab this thing, it'll give me eternal life. It'll give me everything I ever wanted. And so she can't let it go. And what ends up happening is she falls on this bottomless chasm and then who knows what happens to her. And then, and then right after that, Indiana Jones falls over. He's hanging on the cliff. He can actually touch the rim of the cup Below him, his father, and I, realized, I found out in that movie, Indiana Jones is a junior. His father is senior. Says to him in this movie, his father, as he's holding on to the same hand, same situation, he says, Junior, son, basically, let it go. And he's like, Dad, I can get it. I can reach it. I can do it. And he says, Junior, son, let it go. Let it go. Basically, it's not worth it. And there you, you could see this internal struggle within Indiana Jones about, but I'm so close. I can taste it. I can feel it. He can literally feel it. And he has to make this choice and let it go. That's an internal struggle that many of us have. And the thing is, one of the symptoms for us is if you have difficulty or have the inability to let go of the things in your life that you think will bring you life, you'll have a hard time letting go if your mind is set on the flesh. Because the question goes back to, who do you trust more? Who do you trust for your good? And think, about, and, so, and think about the way you react. Think about the way you react when you don't get what you wanted, when you want it, the way you want it, how you wanted it, and how we react toward God. And if, if we believe in this false idea, false narrative that God doesn't actually care about your very good will, that he actually came to give you life, and not just life, life to the fullest, you don't believe that, and you believe the opposite, you won't let go. You'll say, no, you'll double down and say, no, I have to do this. I have to take it. And the problem is this. These things that we have set our minds to, set our hearts to, and the Bible calls another word, you can, you can replace that, those words with worship, the things you long for, the things you trust in 
to fulfill whatever you're longing, to fulfill, to fulfill what you're looking for. And these are not necessarily bad things. They could be good things. But we're making them ultimate things. Is when you worship things and live for things, and look for significance and identity and meaning and purpose in something outside of God, this mindset leads to death because in Psalm 115 verse 8, it gives us an idea of why having your heart and your mindset on these things will lead you to death. Psalm 115 verse 8 says, and this psalmist is talking about idols or the reality of what happens when we worship idols. He says, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see, they have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, and so do all who trust in them. And Greg Beale says this way, What people revere, they resemble, either for ruin or for restoration. What people, what you and I set our hopes on, we tend to resemble it, either for our good or for our ruin. And so a person who sets their heart, sets their mind on these things, the psalmist says, you become like these things that honestly, even if they're good things. So say you wanted a better job. There's nothing wrong with wanting a better job. Say you wanted a better home. There's nothing wrong with a better home. Say you wanted better health, better whatever it is, fill in the blank. There's nothing inherently wrong with wanting these things. But when you and I are set in the sense of like, if I have these things, then I will be alive. Basically, you're seeking them as a source of your significance, meaning, and purpose, and you're worshiping them. It becomes like what the psalmist says about idols. These things are inanimate objects that are deaf, blind, mute, and just dead. You and I become like those things. You and I become deaf, blind, mute, dead in our hearts because these things cannot give you life. It's actually quite the opposite. In order for these things to thrive and to survive, it requires your life. You have to give your life in order for this thing to come to life. And here's the sad reality. It will not love you back and it will not give you life back. It's like a vampire for your soul. It'll suck the life out of you. And as far as I know, vampires are not generous people. Not that I know many, but it just seems like a give relationship, not a give and take. It's just a give relationship. They just take and you don't get life. And so it's hard for us to let go of these things. And when we desperately seek these things, and like I said, I do want to make it clear. There's nothing wrong with wanting good things. There's nothing wrong with it at all. But the problem is when we make these good things that are good to have and good to want naturally, is when we make them the absolute things that says, if I have whatever it is, fill in the blank, then I will be alive. Then my life will be full. It's a good sign that you're on the wrong track. You're on the wrong road. Because you become what you worship. And the only one who gives you life is God himself. This is the very mindset that sets humanity broke in a broken, in a, down a broken path into a condition that leads to death. It's like a rose. A rose is beautiful. But when you cut it from the stem, no matter how much you change the water in the vase, and how much plant food you put in it, you'll survive for a little while, but the rose will eventually die. There is a limited amount of internal resource that you can give out and be sustained by. But even God gives us these earthly examples to teach us 
that we are not meant to survive apart from the stem, from the root. You can survive for a little while, but you're definitely not going to live for long. And that it eventually lead us to death. Paul writes, those who have their minds set according to his flesh are dead, are hostile to God. They don't have a relationship to God. They cannot please God. And there's no way. You have to have a relationship to please someone. Uh, let me just give you a really a simple uh, example. When I used to live in Boston, we used to have people over our house all the time. My favorite ice cream back in the day at that time was Turkey Hill Mint Chocolate Chip. So my house always was stocked with Turkey Hill Mint Chocolate Chip. And then people would come over, and, they would, and because they don't want to come empty-handed, they would bring stuff. They would bring other ice cream. And they bring the one ice cream I hate the most. They would bring Neapolitan ice cream. Let me explain why I hate Neapolitan ice cream, okay? Because it's not chocolate, it's not vanilla, and it's not strawberry. And it's worse when they all, they all mix together. It's the worst. Or when you want chocolate, you open it up, and everyone took the chocolate, and all you have is the vanilla and strawberry. And you're like, I have the two flavors I don't want, and so now I'm stuck with this thing. And my problem was people would come to my house, eat my ice cream, leave their ice cream, to the point where it happens so often, I'm like, you've been, here, you've been here more than once. Why would you bring here, why would you bring ice cream that you don't even eat? You eat my ice cream. And so after that relationship built, they know that if you bring Neapolitan ice cream to my house, even today, I guarantee you, my wife might eat it, but I will throw it out. Because I want no part of it. I want no part of it. But in order for you to know that, you have to have a relationship with me. In order to please God, you have to have a relationship with Him. And in the book of Hebrews, the writer says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. A mindset on the flesh says, I don't need you, God. I don't want you, God. I can do it on my own. You don't have a relationship with God. And if you don't have a relationship with someone, there's no way you can please them. It's like shopping for someone you don't know. It's so stressful. You don't know what to do. You don't know what to get. And so the faith is a vehicle that God gives us to give us the ability to, to understand Him, to know Him personally. And if you don't believe in God and you think you don't need Him, then you don't have a relationship with Him. And if you don't have a relationship with Him, you can't please Him. It's impossible. Just like if you don't have a relationship with me or the people around you, it's impossible for you to know what I would like. You're most likely going to actually offend me than please me or disturb me than anything else. So let's put things back into perspective. So unlike the things, unlike, unlike having our minds set on the flesh, Paul writes about, we have to have our minds set on the Spirit. Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and life to the fullest. And Jordan last week was talking about how the beginning of Romans 8, this magnus opus, this masterpiece of Paul, starts off with, therefore there is now, therefore now, two, two important words, therefore and now, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free. And now let's go back to this false lie, this false narrative that's been going around for generations from life for a lifetime. 
And you may be wrestling with it, that God is the Grinch of your life who is out to steal your joy, out to take the good things from your life. He is not giving you life. He is taking your life. And that's the lie you believe in. But there, when Paul writes, there is now therefore no combination for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have to understand the word therefore implies there was condemnation. When he says, therefore now there is no condemnation, that implies there's an implicit understanding that before there was condemnation, that you and I were under condemnation, that you and I were under the sentence of death. There's a tendency for many believers to think and feel like when life is not going your way, we look back at our life before we got to know Jesus. We look back at our life and go, oh man, man, I remember before I came to church, I remember when like before I became committed, before I became a member and started getting involved, man, my weekends were free. I was so happy. I could do whatever I want. I, you know, before I actually had to like, you know, like commit to the church or commit to a church and like even support it financially, I had more money in my pocket. I was happier. I could do more things. And there's this like, there's like this delusion or like amnesia that we get of like what our life used to be like. And it's, not like, and, it's, and it's a lot like the Egyptians when they came out of Egypt. In Exodus chapter 16, this is what the people of Israel said to Moses. He said, verse 3, And the people of Israel said to them, namely to Moses, blaming him, Would that we had died in the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. See, this, these Israelites who were under captivity for 400 years, slaves of Pharaoh, tools of Pharaoh, who were, whose lives were being extracted to the very core of their being for the glory and for the sheer enjoyment of Pharaoh alone, had now this delusion of thinking, oh my gosh, life was so much better back in Egypt. Man, remember when we had like 22-hour days? Whew. But those two-hour days, we had like meat and we ate to our full. That was awesome. I was, I was such, a, such a great life. Remember when we had one career choice? We, 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 didn't have, we, were, we weren't indecisive. We knew one thing we could do, and we were so good at it. We were excellent brick melders. Remember, remember how we were conditioned? I remember how much they beat us and made us stronger? Oh, man, those were the good old days. Those were the good old days. The Israelites forgot, and just like many believers forget, that when Paul says, therefore there is now no condemnation, the truth is, but there was. You were under condemnation. You were under the sentence and penalty of the law of sin and death. And you were brought out of it. You were brought out of it. Israelites had no future. They had no hope. They had no alternative. They were under condemnation. And we were the same way because Adam and Eve sinned in the disobedience, and so did you and I. Death means separation. Like a rose that's cut off from the stem, that's what death means. You and I are cut off from the very source and the meaning and the purpose and the identity of our life. And now God is not... And so understanding this, God is saying, there is there all, therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God is not taking life from you. God is not taking life from me or from you or trying to keep you from living life. Ephesians 2 says, For you are dead in your trespasses. You are dead in sin and your trespasses. God is not taking life from you. You had no life. You and I had no life. You, were all, you and I were already in the red. 
How do you take life from something that has no life? You take, you take something that has no life and you bring it to life, which is what God does into our life. But in Jesus, it says, the spirit is life and, and is bringing us life. So how do you and I undo this false lie, this narrative that is so pervasive in our hearts and in our mind, not just for believers, but for unbelievers around as well? How do you and I undo this lie that we adopt so easily and the, and the amnesia we have that we've forgotten so long? How do you undo a legacy of trauma, of sin, and the lies that have passed on from generation to generation? The only way to do it is to follow the Spirit. In other words, you have to replace lies with truth. You have to replace the lie that you were told that you believed in, that you've been living in, with a new truth. With truth, not new truth, with truth. You have to replace bad habits, bad tendencies, with a new tendency, a new life, a new habit. You have to stop worshiping the things and seeking after things as if, if I had this, you would get it to now worshiping God who is the author and source of life himself. That is how we do it. Jesus tells us that you and I must be born again, that we need a new life, a life that is completely dependent upon him as the as source of our life. Now, I do want to make a moment just to make it clear that I think it's important for us to clarify that when we say the mindset and the spirit, it doesn't mean, I think sometimes people make the mistake and sometimes churches say, that God is good, the Bible is good, and everything of God is good, and the world is evil. Right? It kind of reminds me of the movie Waterboy with Adam Sandler, where his mom says, whatever she didn't agree on is like, it's of the devil. You know? So if, you didn't, if, 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 you didn't, if uh, she didn't like vanilla ice cream, she would say, or Neapolitan ice cream, she would say, it's the devil. <laughs> right? She would just blame things for the devil. It's not like, there are good things. There are good things in life. God created many good things for us to enjoy. But here's the difference between Christians and the, and the rest of the world. Christians do not make good things God things. That's the difference. Good things are good things and we enjoy them for what they are. But we don't look at them as a source of our being. We understand that if I don't have these things, it's okay. I already, I already have the best thing. That's why the psalmist says in Psalm 63, Your love, O Lord, is better than life. In a dry and barren land where there is no water, your love is better than life. Psalm 27, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may gaze, gaze upon you and your beauty and seek you all the days of my life. If I have nothing else, God, I am rich. If I have nothing else, I'm alive. Because you are the source of my life. So Christians don't reject good things. Just Christians reject that these good things are going to be the meaning of our life. See, setting our minds on the Spirit means it changes the approach of your heart and your life. That God becomes a priority and then you let go. See, there's only so much you can get with a closed fist. Right? If I tossed you, I don't know, if I tossed you like a stack of bills, right? Not... Utility bills, money bills, okay? <laughs> right? You can only catch so much with a closed fist. In order for you to receive, you have to let go of what's in your hand in order to receive what God has given you. So many of us live with God, to God, with closed fists saying, God, I want you to fill my life now. 
but I'm not going to let go of this. And so you won't receive, and you cannot understand the fullness of God until you let go of this. There's no room. And so it, it does require faith to trust and believe in Him. And it's, but I do want to say it's hard to let go. It's not easy. Please, I don't want us to walk away feeling guilty or condemned because Paul says there's no condemnation. Just because you have a hard time letting go. For many of us, we've been working so hard to get this thing. Everything's been aligned this way. And we're like, man, I've been like, I, I changed my whole life. I moved to this city so I can get this one thing. I made choices in my life so I can get this one thing. And so, of course, it would be hard to let go of it. We're not saying it's not going to be easy. But could you let go of it? Who do you trust? Do you trust, once again, the mind of the flesh says, it's up to me. It's entirely up to me. And the mind of the spirit is life and peace because you can let go because even though I work this hard, and it's really hard, God, and I don't know if I can let go of it today. If I can't let go of it today, help me get, let me let go of it a little bit more tomorrow. There's a process to it. But I'm going to trust that you know better than I do what's good for my life. It's a hard thing to let go. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and life to the fullest. Having a mindset in the spirit to trust is to trust Jesus' word and intention for life. That if you, having a mindset of the spirit means you trust that Jesus, what Jesus says, he's going to do. And that he's actually out for your best interest. And so when your heart is set, in, when your mind is set in, is on the spirit, you're not concentrating with just how can I avoid sin? You're concentrating more of how can I develop this relationship with God? And it changes the whole thing. And the problem that many of us struggle with is we tie our emotional ability to our commitment with Jesus. In other words, if I feel like I can do this, then I will do it. But Jesus is not, Jesus himself is a model for us that while our emotions are important, you and I cannot be driven and be motivated purely on emotions alone. Jesus himself said, God, in the Garden of Gethsemane, if it's possible, if at all possible, Father, could we do this another way? Could we do this? Because I don't want to go this way. I don't want to take this path that's going to be so painful, so hard. I don't want to go this way. But not my will, but yours be done. There's a difference between being emotionally tied to it and being motivated to understanding and being committed to something. Commitment has almost nothing to do with your emotion. Commitment is a decision you make and say, I want to make this choice in my life because I know that if I commit to this, I will get to the end. When you commit to a, a workout routine, you don't do it because you want to do it, but you, because you see the end of it. Let me ask you a question. Today is Sunday. How many of you want to go to work tomorrow, Monday? Liars. <laughs> liars. Room for liars. We're all liars. Right? You don't go to work because you want to. And some of us do because we have great careers, and that's a blessing for you. Don't brag about it on, on, on social media, all right? We're not going to like it. We're not going to press the like button, okay? You go to work because you know you have to. You go to work because you have bills to pay, to put food on the table, to put clothes on someone's back, to take care of the people in your life. You go because you're committed to the people around you. You're committed to their well-being, to your well-being. If you only went to work because you felt like it, you would not be in a good situation. 
you also go to work not based on the promises you receive now, but you go to work knowing the promises you're going to get. You go to work on Monday knowing that you're going to get paid on Friday or from two weeks. Not because you feel like it, but because you know. And so this commitment to life from the Spirit is, you, I commit to you, Jesus, that even though I don't know what's going on around the minute, and even though it looks like you're taking away from me, I believe that Jesus, just like you were raised from the dead, you will raise me to a life that I didn't understand or know about. I'm going to trust and commit to you and to your word and to your promise. Not on a feeling, but a commitment. And so he says in verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to you. And what he's saying is, there is a, a literal translation, transition of a person's life when you go from the Spirit from the mindset of the flesh to the mindset of the spirit. There's a transformation of, to a believer. Paul writes, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, that person is a new creation, a complete new creation, even though there are semblances of it, of, the, of our old life. You can't go back. Ignorance is bliss. It is. My children don't know anything, and they're happy. <laughs> but I don't want to ever, ever be their age again. I don't honestly ever want to be their age again. Ignorance is bliss, and there are some things like once you know, you can't go back. I have friends who watch Supersize Me, and they never eat at McDonald's again. Or some of you have watched What the Health, and you change your whole thing. I have watched neither Supersize Me or What the Health, so I continue to eat the way I do. Yeah. Terribly. <laughs> I believe in the resurrection. Okay, but, <laughs> but the reality is you can't go back once you're changed. You cannot go back. There are things Christians can do. You can do the things you used to do. But internally, spiritually, your, your affinity, your affections, your taste buds have changed. And you can't go back. And the things you used to do, you can't even enjoy them in the full way you used to before. It just cannot satisfy you. It's just, there's no way it can do it anymore. It cannot sustain you. You will move and you will change. And in such ways that it just... You can go back. You can do certain things. I'm just telling you, sooner or later, you're going to face the reality that you're just not going to enjoy it like you used to. And you get emptied out again. I think of it this way. Uh, I remember when we were cleaning out our closet like years ago, I found my old suit I had in college. Uh, and in college, I didn't have a lot of money, so it tells you the kind of, uh, kind of suit that I had. It was not a nice suit. And so I tried to fit into it because I didn't want to throw it out. I was like, it's a good suit. I'll, I'll try it again. You know it's not a good thing when you have to lay down to put your pants on, okay? You know it's not a good thing. That, those pants were so tight. Let me, prom let me tell you something. It's just like these. Going back to your old life is like putting on old pants that are too small for you. It'll cause you discomfort and it'll cause you gas, all right? <laughs> and it'll leave like a weird mark right in your belly. <laughs> It'd be unmistakable. You're like, oh, I don't know why I did that. I don't want to put it on again. And it doesn't get better the more you put it on. Actually, you, the more you dis, actually just start despising it. If I kept putting on those pants, uh, first of all, it, it would rip. But if it didn't rip, I, just, I would start hating them because it would be so uncomfortable all the time. So why you could do things that you used to do before you met Jesus, because you have a new spirit who lives in you, it just won't satisfy you. And actually, in the, it will come to a point where you will despise it. You will despise it. 
But in verse 10, it also says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So how does this change for us? How does this new view, new approach of living according to the spirit, how does it change for us? How does it help us embrace life and life to the fullest? Because honestly, like we said before, sometimes, and it is sometimes the truth, God is taking things out of way for your life and my life. He is definitively, intentionally stepping into your life, interrupting your lifestyle, taking things out, and making it really painful for you. So what do we make of it? And I want to think of it this way. You don't have to close your eyes. Think about everything you've ever owned since you were born. Okay? Now think about everything. Now think about your New York City apartment. Okay, it won't take that long. Our, our apartments aren't that big. Okay? Now think about imagining fitting everything you've ever owned your entire life from birth. And you haven't thrown anything away. Think of trying to fit all that stuff into your New York City apartment. Everything. Your toys, your blankies, your clothes when you were six months old, your clothes when you were eight years old, your, you know, your trophies, your medals, your book reports, all those composition books that you wrote, uh, all your like, applications for jobs or whatever. You know, they still have encyclopedias back, Britannica back here. Think of all your Britannica sets. You know, think of all your game systems, everything. You haven't thrown anything out. Think of what your apartment would look like if you didn't throw anything out. It would be like an episode of Hoarders. It'd be so full, so packed, that you would have no freedom to move about your own apartment. You'd be stuck. You wouldn't know what to do. And think about what it would be like if I came into your life, came into your apartment, and started taking away good things. Not bad things. The bad things are obvious. Let's take away this moldy blanket. That's not good for our health. Let's just throw it out. But good things, like maybe your favorite toy, and you still love it. But there's no room for it now. Or maybe your favorite couch. It's so old now and broken that it hurts your back sitting on it. And I take it out. But you're like, I, we have, I have so many memories on the couch, watching all my, all, I handle my friends, watching shows. I have so many great memories. Let's just keep it there. What if I, what if I took it out? Good things in your life. Although it will be painful in some, on some levels, by taking things out, it creates space for you to move. It creates space for you to breathe. It creates space for you to put in new things in your life that you need, that, have, that don't have room for right now. Now transport that and think of your body is like your New York City apartment. And that mindset of the flesh is everything you used to ever do and own and used to live. That's filling your whole life. God is taking things out of your life. Because you're so full of dead old things that won't bring you life. He has to take them out in your life in order for him to fill it. There's only so much room in our heart and lives. And like Jordan said last week, you cannot, have two, you cannot serve two things. You either love one or hate the other. There's no room for both. And so God is injecting himself into your life taking the old things out, taking the old patterns, old love, good things, and definitely bad things, taking them out and filling them so that you can breathe, so that you can move, 
so that you can see again and walk around and live as we were meant to live. Apartments were not meant to be like skirted around. Your apartments were meant to be lived in. And so God has been meant to live in your heart and fill it. And so when he says, I have come that they may have life and life to the fullest, God is occupying you in such a way as I don't want just your head. I don't, need your, I don't need you to mentally understand and believe that I'm there. And I don't need just your heart either. I don't need your heart just to beat for me whenever the good song comes up and you say, I love Jesus. I need to occupy your hands to let go of things that you shouldn't let go of, not touch things you shouldn't touch, and to embrace things and give and pour out with your hands. I need to occupy your feet to move you in a direction that you need to go in and away from a direction that takes you away from me. I need you to occupy your entire being so that you can be full of life. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And in order for you and I to experience Jesus' life and life to the fullest, He must occupy more of your life. There is no way around it. Before we close, I do want to say this as a word of encouragement. Even though this reality is there, Sometimes we can get discouraged and say, I know this is true, but I'm not there yet. I know this is true, but even emotionally, I don't feel it. I don't, I'm not there yet. There's grace for you. Holy Spirit says, and Paul writes, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It's not up to you. He will bring you there in due time. It takes a while to clear a house that's full, crowded, and so full. It takes time. You can't do it all at once. And so God is going to work with you. People, I think we make the mistake of thinking, just because I'm on the road to follow him, I should have arrived. Just, that's, a, that's not true. Just because you're on the right road doesn't mean you have arrived. It means you will arrive. doesn't mean you've arrived yet. It's better to be on the right road knowing that you will, if you keep walking on it, you'll get to your destination, the right destination, as opposed to being on the wrong road that's going to lead you somewhere else. Be encouraged. Know that the Holy Spirit who is working in you will bring it to completion. And that's why Rick Ashley says in this quote, nothing around us, not even us, can stop the Holy Spirit from doing something inside of us. Cooperate with this transforming work today. This is an invitation for you and I today to take stock or what you used to love and pursue, what you thought, if I had this, it would be enough. And let go of that. Take stock. Think about it. Actively think about it. And make it an intention, not an emotional thing, which, but the emotions can be there. But let it not be solely based on making an, make an intent, a commitment. Paul says in Philippians, but whatever was my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, he says, I consider everything, everything, Everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. When he says these things, these are not like light, flippant thoughts. He had to actually take stock in his life and go, what am I pursuing? What do I want in my life? What have I accomplished in my life? What have I done in my life? Who am I in my life right now? Who do I want to be in my life? He weighed all these things and says, you know what? After I thought about it carefully, if I weighed it out and prayed it out, I've decided and I realized that I would rather get rid of all of these and get Jesus, then have all of this and without him. Because he says all of this is garbage. 
if I don't have Jesus. Jesus says the same thing too. What can a man do? What good is it for you to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? What can a man give in exchange for a soul? You and I need to be filled with him in order to understand this reality that Jesus says, I have come for you this day so that you may have life and life to the fullest. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us embrace this reality, this truth, that therefore, this wonderful proclamation, that therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I pray you help us, help us to embrace this truth that, Lord, you did come to give us life and life to the fullest. And for those who are discouraged and those who are unsure, those who look at their life and feel like, God, I'm not there yet, or I don't know, I don't know how I'm going to get there. I pray you help us to embrace this truth that you also say, that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us, that he, you Holy Spirit, who raised Christ from the dead, will also, you will also bring our lives to life. God, I pray that for that you would give us as a people here at Renaissance more faith, Lord, to believe and trust in you, to let go, not hold on, to so, hold on so tight to the things that won't give us life. Help us to undo the lies that we've been believed in so long. And I pray for those who don't know you yet, who are still wondering and still seeking. I pray that you would reveal in their life the futility, the end of a life in pursuit of itself, and find that you and you alone or the only one can bring, who can bring us life and bring us to completion. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.